You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. I'm a DevOps dude, a course creator, and an open source maintainer in the world of container and cloud native DevOps. These episodes are edited down audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is made possible by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all of you patrons for your continued support. It means a lot. Your podcast player should have the show notes for this episode, including links to the original show on YouTube, topics or tools we might discuss, how to support this show with Patreon, and links to get discount coupons on all my courses. You can always get those notes and links at brettfisher.com. In this episode, my guests are Martin Wimpress and Peter Van Nordenen from Slim AI, the makers of the Docker Slim utility and now a startup with funding and a team that's removing the complexity of creating a slimmed down container image from your existing images. This show has several demos that you can watch on the YouTube recording, which is, of course, linked in the show notes. You might notice in this one how excited I sound about their technology because I think automation and intelligence like theirs is the future of building container images. In particular, I think that this is the future for legacy apps and complex monoliths that have a lot of dependencies, a long build time, and of course, a big Docker file. Often teams that run these apps don't have the staff to fully understand the attack surface of a Docker build that has hundreds of lines of Docker file with many stages in it. If you've been around since the beginning of Docker, you're likely comfortable with handcrafting long and complex Docker files on your own. The goal there being that your development and test stages have all the needed tools in those environments, but your production stage is a very minimal set of only the binaries and libraries that are truly required for your app to run. The reality is, however, that most teams I work with and see today that are still managing those legacy monoliths in image builds don't really understand the full detailed depth of the dependency tree for their apps, or even if all the dependencies are still needed. Many devs and build engineer teams don't have the deep Linux and language tooling expertise to understand all their dependencies and if those libraries are truly needed in their production builds. The Docker Slim and Slim AI team is just getting started, and I think they're on to something here. Many projects and companies have tried to do similar things like this before. We've heard of Slim Images, Alpine Images, DistroList, Build Packs, even Docker tried years back to create intelligence and guidance around migrating legacy apps into Slim production quality images, but they scrapped that effort in 2019. All these projects have similar goals that are often conflicting, I call this a dual mandate. The mandates of making Docker files easy to understand and not requiring a PhD in Linux to craft them. And secondly, making production images as minimal as possible with the lowest CVE vulnerability count combined with the least amount of unnecessary files and leaving a production image that the average engineer can still understand and troubleshoot. Well, in my opinion, none of those projects really achieve this dual mandate of easy and secure. They either end up with an image that's easy to understand, but has way too many files and CVEs to truly call it a production quality image, or the project they're using to build the images is seriously limited with what problems it can solve. I've actually covered some of this stuff before, including in my DockerCon 2022 talk, where I go into 
how complex it can quickly get to create a truly minimal vulnerability production image. So here we are in this episode where I can't help but hope that Slim AI is onto something with their on-the-fly build intelligence that can really shrink down your images, sometimes by a factor of 10 or 20 times, without requiring you to change how or what you write in your Docker files. So let's jump into the details with Martin and Peter of Slim.ai. Hello, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have two gentlemen on the show from both sides of the pond. We got Peter Van Nordenen. He's the head of growth at Slim AI. We're all Slim AI today. We're going to have a whole Slim AI crew. Martin Wimpress over there on the right, the head of community. Thank you both for being here. Someone tell me real quick, how did Slim AI get started? Does someone have the lore on the startup? <laughs> Sure. Yeah, I can jump on that one. So it all started actually like it goes back a bit, kind of back to 2016. Our co-founder and CTO, Kyle Quest, was, you know, very early in on Docker and DevOps and, you know, he was a big security guy and working on all of this stuff. And he went to a Docker hackathon, the Docker Global Hackathon, with this idea that you know, creating production ready containers is, is pretty difficult for people, right? So, you know, being able to take a tutorial and turn it into a Docker container, you know, it's pretty easy to get started, but doing all the things that you need to do to make that container ready for production, you know, he was spending a lot of time doing it. He was seeing his team spend a lot of time doing it. So he said, hey, is there a way I can automate this? And that was the birth of the Docker Slim open source project. And so he created that project and it started, you know, gaining some steam. He was adding features to it, working with other contributors. And at the same time, he was working at a company called CloudBlock that was in the CASB space and, you know, doing security stuff with our other co-founder, CEO, John Amaral, who was working on the product side. And that company was acquired by Cisco and they both worked at Cisco for a while, but they always thought it would be a great idea to come help developers solve this problem of creating production ready containers automatically. So Kyle was adding features to Docker Slim kind of left and right, including tooling called like X-Ray that allows you to get a report on what's inside your container and the ability to create like app armor and set comp profiles automatically. And Docker Slim really started to take off. And so that's how they spun out the company. They both left Cisco, began this company, came out of self mode in end of 2020. And since then we've been, you know, hiring engineers, uh, building out our team, creating our SaaS tools that take a lot of the tools that are available in Docker Slim and make them easier to use in a SaaS. And then, yeah, we recently launched a Docker desktop extension, which was really exciting. We were one of the launch partners for that program. We've been adding more and more to our SaaS, and we've just recently started working with kind of teams and organizations to help people secure their containers on their way to production. And that's really been kind of the story for us. Yeah. So born out of necessity. Yeah. And this is a topic that we talk about a lot, I think, relative to maybe the, the latest, hottest Kubernetes add-on. And in fact, it's something that I bring up regularly in my talks. And then this year, my DockerCon talk, we had a DockerCon in May and about half of my DockerCon talk was just about the complexity of taking your day one image. Like, you know, I've got it to work. And then mm -hmm. the evolution you have to go through of all the different things you have to know, all the different black marsh, you know, the black arts or the dark arts or whatever of exactly what you need to make this image production ready for what I would say m would fly by most ops and security teams, right? Because obviously shipping <laughs> an image with thousands of vulnerabilities probably won't get you very far in an enterprise where they know how to scan for vulnerabilities. What you don't know sometimes can hurt you in this case because you've 
got an image that works. It seems decent sized, but there's a lot to it. And I'm glad you all are mm. attempting this because there's been a lot of attempts before and there's a mm. lot of subtle complexity in it. So I'm excited to dig in and see sort of how you're trying to solve it from your point of view, because I think that we've had a bunch of, I think I would say multiple open source attempts at this mm -hmm. in the past. And I feel like at some point everyone sort of gives up. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, in trying to solve it for everyone, it's hard. And mm -hmm. it ends up needing to have a company, I think, behind it to really drive the intelligence, the amount of effort you have to put in to automate this. So where are we right now? So Slim AI, let's just recap real quick. Slim AI is the organization, the company behind mm -hmm. Docker Slim, as well as I guess now a growing set of other tools or features or something. I heard about Docker Slim first. And so... Mm -hmm. Docker Slim, that's an open source tool. Tell me a little bit about that real quick. Yeah, so Docker Slim is the open source tool that Kyle created and has been worked on by Kyle and community contributors for about six or seven years now. And it's the the beating heart behind the Slim AI SaaS platforms. Almost everything that we'll show you today is actually powered by Docker Slim. What Slim AI is looking to do is to put some good developer experience on top of the power of Docker Slim. Docker Slim is an expert tool. You know, you can go and download it from GitHub now and you can start using it today. There's lots of buttons and bells and sliders you can wiggle, you know, with that tool to make it do different things. And the Slim SaaS platform is designed to sort of give you a great experience in exploiting the power of Docker Slim without having to be an expert Docker Slim user. Mm. So that's yeah. kind of the relationship between, you know, the project and the company. Yeah, and the output of this tool, this is more than just a scanner, right? Yeah, it's several things. In fact, Pete, yeah. shall we start with the SaaS platform or shall we start with the Docker extension? Where should we go first? Ooh, why don't we start with the SaaS platform, but I do want to spend okay. some time with the Docker extension because I think for Brett's audience, it's going to be really super interesting, that Docker extension. It has a lot of the same features and functionality that we have in the SaaS platform, but is available on your local desktop, which makes a huge difference for developers yeah. in the development. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. This is our site, slim.ai. And Brett's already had the Docker Slim website up, but you can find the project on GitHub here. So hub.com slash Docker Slim, you'll find all of the related bits and pieces there. Where we're going to start today is looking at the Slim SaaS platform. So your jumping off point for that is here, the get started buttons. Most of what we're going to show today is free to use on the SaaS platform or the Docker extension. There are a couple of bits that are not because they're brand new and fresh, but we'll explain that as we get to them. The, the Slim AI platform has sort of two, two facilities, two modes, two key modes of operation. The first is a good way to describe it. It's sort of like Google for container images. So what you can do here is you can use connectors to connect to all of the places that you, all of the registries that you are pushing images, either publicly or privately. And then you can search and explore and compare images across all of these different registries. So you can search through and you can find the containers that you want to look for. So, you know, if you search for Nginx, you will find the Nginx containers or things that have Nginx in the name across all of the registries that you have connected. And if you know that you've got one of your own registries connected, and actually when this got implemented, Although Docker Slim is all about making container images smaller and more secure, 
what we were asked a lot at the very beginning was, well, when I run Docker Slim, what the heck just happened to my container? <laughs> so actually right. we kind of went back and implemented a whole bunch of features to actually go and explore and analyze your containers because we realized we needed that capability before we could really start telling people to make their containers smaller to address this question of what just happened. So here's, it's a, a single app. The app is irrelevant. It's a Python Flask app. It implements a really simple RESTful API. It doesn't matter that it's Python. You know, we could have been doing this with Node and Docker Slim and Slim AI work with, you know, Golang and Rust and Ruby and, you know, all of the other languages. There's very few things that don't work. So if you go to the examples, you'll probably find an example for your language ecosystem that you can use as sort of reference if you want to start with sort of hard mode Docker Slim. Hey there, podcast listener. At this point in the live show, which this podcast comes from, we do a pretty detailed demo getting into a lot of the features, and it didn't necessarily make sense to put this in an audio-only podcast. So if you're interested more in the tool and how it functions, check out a link in the show note that will take you to the YouTube live that this comes from, and then you can get the full demo there. We're now going to jump back into the conversation after we're done with most of that demo. When you're choosing what to keep, would that include like dependencies? So like in a node app, would I also check my node modules directory as like, you know, sort of like app directory and everything in it that I created? Yeah. Is that kind of what we do? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. So, I mean, there's the, it's, we sort of describe it like the Google, I'm feeling lucky button versus the sort of like Google search results, right? Where, you know, the more you include or the more you sort of manually say, hey, don't touch this or leave this here, the less likely it is you're going to lose something that you absolutely need or want, but then the less effective the minification is going to be, right? Sure. So what Dr. Slim, the, what that engine is doing under the hood is running the app doing the code tracing and static analysis, but then combining that with Linux kernel tools that like watch as the container, as we hit endpoints in the container or, you know, you know, sort of light up the different code paths. And so it's making decisions about what it can keep and what it can't. Sometimes it's too aggressive in the yeah. decisions. And that's when you want to use the include paths to pull it back. But sometimes it's actually like, if you just kind of include star, right, you're just going to end up with the same, <laughs> the right. same. You don't it'll want be one layer, but it'll be everything yeah. you had. Yeah. For the demo that we that people <laughs> interact with if they just log into the Slim SaaS platform, we actually do what you just described, which is keep the node modules folder. It's kind of the safest thing to do. The image reduces from like 1.3 gigs to about 300 megabytes. So there's still a lot of savings there, but yeah. it's not this sort of like dramatic 25 megabyte image. But it's also, you know, pretty much like head and ruin anything in the right. app, you know, accidentally. So. so, yeah. So I guess you would do that when you're confident about your dependencies that you're, and I get into this debate around, it's not really so much a debate, but the talk around the dev dependencies versus prod dependencies and how right. most images I see are shipping with, they're shipping to production with dev dependencies. So they've got all the right. test yep. frameworks, they've got all the local tooling mm -hmm. that they need on their local machine that doesn't have any necessity like npm mm -hmm. you know or pip they don't they aren't normally yep. they, those binaries are not needed in production <laughs> like you're not normally yep. installing so it is one of those things where at some point whenever i'm working with someone on securing their image they run out of enthusiasm and it's like a, a point that I think is important to talk about that even if you're someone who knows how to do all these things and you mm -hmm. sort of break if you were someone who was just like me you've had 
enough Docker, you've lost count of the number of Docker files you've edited. And you're mm -hmm. always in pursuit, even if it means only five megs smaller, you're always in pursuit of a smaller image. There is a lot of effort in that. Like even for a yeah. pro, there is a lot of work, especially with the, like now that we have multi-stage and it's almost sort of a, mm -hmm. I can be my own worst enemy where I make mm -hmm. so many advanced stages in order to clean up the dev dependencies and remove the fixtures from the testing frameworks. And I get really into it. Then I find out, oh, the image we're using has all these unnecessary things in it. I want to clean those out too. And yeah. it, it, you don't, you get on this rabbit hole where you're like two weeks in, like yeah. two weeks of serious effort. And I don't always have, I mean, I am a, a perfectionist, but people I'm working <laughs> with are honestly, I think they get worn out for me. They're like, look, this is yeah. too much. I just need a tool that like I need a one-liner to do what you're doing because I don't have the patience to learn all that and to understand right. the Linux file system and how all that works. And yep. it, yeah, it's a lot. And sometimes mm -hmm. using great tools like this, I think can be a little hand wavy and we're like, yeah, this is all mm -hmm. easy, but people don't realize under the hood, there is so much to know about how your app is built on top of Linux <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. that yeah. most people don't know. So there's some interesting points to dig into there. And yes, we've seen all of that. You know, people who are, for example, data scientists, that is their area of expertise. They know how to manipulate numbers and large data sets, but they are not necessarily a Linux systems internals experts. Right. And once they've got their three gigabyte container that works, they're happy. Their DevSecOps team may be, you know, having kittens, but, you know, they're happy that their container functions. And what we can do here is we've just done the turned up to 11 optimization, strip out everything I don't need. Some people get a little bit sort of cautious about that. So what we're working on at the moment is sort of different pre-canned levels of strength of optimization mm. that you want to do. And for what you were just describing, Brett, there are some people that are using uh, Docker Slim and Slim AI SaaS as effectively policy enforcement. So mm. they've used the include and exclude flags to basically say, I know this is derived from a dev container. When you optimize, the only thing you should do is remove the things in this exclude file. So remove NPM, remove all of the shelves, remove the interpreters, remove curl and wget and netcat and all of the stuff that could be used against my infrastructure if somebody exploits a bug in my application and lands inside my container. So it's not quite the barren wasteland we're about mm. to show you from what we've done here, yeah. but it is a more hardened container that retains everything sort of from a software packages point of view that the developer prescribed their app needs. It may not be the smallest container in the world, but it's had all of that stuff taken out of it that could be your own worst enemy if you have yeah. a bad day and yeah. somebody steps on a bug. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there are things that are like really simple things too, right? Like shells, right? That's like a great example. Yeah. Very frequently, Docker Slim is going to take shells out of the container, you know, because they are really not needed in the production image. In fact, they should not be there. They represent attack surface that can be exploited. Teaching a developer to write a container without a shell is, is pretty difficult. I know Yvonne from our team did a really great Twitter thread that was like showing how to use a sidecar app in Kubernetes to kind of like shell into a container. It's a pretty yeah. cool little, yeah, exploration. But, you know, generally I think like, especially for people who are either new or like you said, you know, they just don't they don't want to, you know, they don't want to, you know, 
write a really, really handcrafted artisan Docker file. They want something that's just a, a process that they can run. That's sort of who we're trying to appeal to with this tool. I think yeah. the comparison tools are appropriate for anybody, right? If you're working with your dev image, you have multi-stage build, you've taken a bunch of stuff out of it. It's still interesting to see what the original image versus that image is. And if it breaks, then you can get into the container and understand it. But the optimization, I think, is for people who really don't want to be spending a ton of time manually handcrafting container images to yeah. be as small as possible. So Yeah. And I feel like with everyone I've worked with, that's most people. Yeah. <laughs> I find very few developers. They have to really be into containers and also be a little bit of a tinkerer, a sysadmin of sorts before they really start to realize, oh, there's all these things I don't need, or even to just know about slim images, I feel like is an advantage mm -hmm. right now. So if someone's looking for a competitive advantage in their job, like even just bragging about, I mean, people know about Alpine, but they don't necessarily know why Alpine, right? And they don't understand yeah. the nuanced differences of all the different distributions. And my goal and what you all are showing is sort of applying my goal of, I don't want to have to shift developers to Alpine simply because we're we, some people act as if that's the only right way to run a container securely. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to force people to that. To me, it's a distribution yeah. choice. And I see that as a distribution. Yeah. I know people that are all in on CentOS distributions, maybe not so much mm -hmm. anymore, but used to be all in on CentOS. I'm a very much an Ubuntu mm -hmm. person. I'm all in on Ubuntu. Mm -hmm. I like their CVE count over Debian. I like the reduction in that. I like the reliability, the long-term stability. And it's also what most people, a lot of people that I work with, they run mm -hmm. the Ubuntu on their servers. So they're already more mm -hmm. familiar familiar. And so I hate to throw things like Alpine at people because I feel like it's changing their package manager. Now they got to go hunt down mm -hmm. all those packages and find the right versions and then find out that, oh yeah, yeah. you can't track versions in Alpine they, over a mm -hmm. long period of time. So it, I'm, I'm very much about this approach and I'm glad to see this kind of come to fruition because we've seen this. Docker's tried to do this back in their enterprise mm -hmm. days before Marantis bought them, bought part of them. They tried this approach. They actually were trying to sell a solution to enterprise only customers that kind of did some of this. Mm -hmm. Not on, Definitely not all of it, didn't have a web GUI or anything, but I've seen so many people attempt it and realize, oh, this is actually hard because there's mm -hmm. so much intelligence that has to go into it so you don't break stuff. In fact, what yeah. you were just describing there, you know, there are different container composition options. You know, there is Alpine, there is Distrolus, there is build packs and all the rest of it, and they all have their place. But you saying, I'm familiar with Ubuntu, the people that I work with are familiar with Ubuntu, telling them to completely change their workflow is actually a lot of friction to introduce into yeah. their lives. And that speaks to the origin story of Docker Slim, which was expressly designed to keep your existing workflow and make smaller production ready containers without you having to go to, you know, another distro, another platform, right. that's right. the whole entire point. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's a story I want to tell more because one of my big rules when I take on a new client is to not force them to change distributions just because they mm -hmm. may be, you know, I'm not a huge Yum fan and I'm not a big Red Hat fan, but if they're on Red Hat, they're on CentOS, whatever, I'm going to try to keep them there because I know they're more likely going to use these things if they, if it's what is familiar to them, right? Instead of just yeah. approaching it from let's change everything. <laughs> they're yeah. already changing so much when they're implementing containers and Kubernetes. So it's like, I don't want to change anything. I don't have to. So yeah, great. Yeah. Hey, audio listener. It turns out we did another demo, so this is where we cut that one out too. We should point out, like, this is all free, right? This is a Docker yep, desktop yep. extension, 
And for those of you who haven't checked out Docker desktop extensions, we've had Docker on this show last month. We've had DockerCon. They announced it. I think it's the hot new thing of 2022 for Docker is we yeah. finally get this. We had an improving GUI over the last few years where the Docker desktop dashboard, the DDD, D3, whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it, that dashboard was getting better and better. But they opened up this extension thing at the beginning of this year. And I don't... They asked us captains first. They said, like, what good extensions mm -hmm. would you have? And, and I actually had a hard time coming up with, I was like, I don't really know. I mean, maybe a log viewer and, you know, a, fo a, a size, like, what is taking up space on my machine? Because that's, like, the two most common mm -hmm. questions I get from people. But then all these great extensions, like yours, all started <laughs> coming out of the woodworks. And I did not imagine where, like, a world where I'd be deploying, you know, OpenShift Kubernetes deployments inside of Docker desktop, or I'd be yeah. VPN tunneling to remote infrastructure from inside my Docker desktop, or, you know, something like SlimAI. Like this, the, if you haven't tried out, this is sort of like a, an advertisement for extensions. If you haven't tried out mm -hmm. Docker desktop extensions, they keep adding new versions of them, new options mm -hmm. in there. I, I, we've got dozens in there now, at least probably close to 30, if not at this point. So for those yeah. that haven't checked it out, please. Go try out Docker yeah. Desktop. You can use yeah. Docker Desktop for learning. And if you're learning the extensions, you're legally allowed to use it even on an enterprise computer. I have yeah. gotten permission from the powers to be at Docker that said, yeah, that's what the learning is all about is to learn features and play with things. So anyway. Yeah, it was like Christmas came early. I was this guy, I think we were about to say the same thing, which is just to give a shout out to our development team. We, you know, got the offer to come be a launch partner of Docker in the extension program. They were great to work with. You know, we did a lot of co-marketing. I think we have a blog coming out on Docker tomorrow, maybe about our extension, but our developers like really crushed to get the extension out. And now we've like basically spun up a whole team that is just working on the extension because we're getting so many, so much interest, so much insight. You yeah. know, there's a ton of new features. There's always updates and UI improvements and stuff like that that we can make. So yeah, we're definitely doubling down and agree. I think the extension, and we've gotten to see other extensions too, which is really cool. And the extensions themselves are containers, which I think is really cool. It makes <laughs> total sense, right? But right. so you can actually yeah. use the Slim AI tools to go inspect the other company's <laughs> extensions. And we were doing that and having some fun with that. So yeah. Use yours to figure out how to make yours better. Great. Yeah, there was some reference containers that Docker provided and we used our tools to yeah you really dig into them and see what was going on. And one of the curious things we learned is they were using Docker Slim inside their, you know, Ooh. reference containers. So it's like, take. oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I was going to say, yes, it wasn't just like Christmas came early. It was, it was also like my birthday at the same time, because as a Linux user, I had never had access to the Docker desktop before. So not only did I get Docker desktop and I was demoing it there on the Linux desktop, but I got the extensions to boot. And, you know, whilst we've had the, you know, Docker runtime forever, I've actually switched on my local workstations. I just use the Docker desktop now for everything because it's another piece in that sort of computing platform parity, you know, that we're all, all desktop Linux enthusiasts crave, you know, it's another, you know, one tool to sit alongside, yeah. you know, things like Visual Studio Code and Git Kraken, or, you know, if JetBrains is your thing, you know, it's just another great dev tool to, to have available to and, uh, and not have to feel like you're the poor relation. Yeah. And I can pause it. <laughs> That's another one of my favorite new features yeah. this year is being able yeah, to just yeah. pause Kubernetes and Docker and just set it without having to quit. Right. Cause mm -hmm. I'm always wanting to run Kubernetes and Docker, 
but I don't always need it. And I, I get tired of launching and waiting the 30 seconds for the VM to start up. So pausing, <laughs> it's been a great thing for me too. I'm assuming that's on the Linux side since it is a Linux feature. Cause I think it's actually using the uh, C group or pause C groups on underneath yep. to actually sleep those. What I, I think the thing to take away from this is the same core capabilities that exist in the pl SAS platform locally on your machine, you know, overview reports and everything. And you can do the comparisons and the file explorers. It's all here. And what we're finding is this is a great gateway for people to sort of access our tooling because they can just install the extension and start playing with it. And you get all of that value and capability locally without having to go through the hassle of pushing your container images you know, up to a registry somewhere. Yeah. And Brett, Brett, you hit on, so it is free. The extension's free for anybody to use. Our SaaS platform is free for individual developers. All you need is a GitHub, GitLab, or Bitbucket account. We might send you a few emails, but you can opt out of those. You won't get sales calls from us or anything. You know, we want these tools to be available to developers. We have started working with certain design partners. So if your team or organization might benefit from something like optimization, or the vulnerability scanning, just reach out to me. I'm in Brett's Discord. We have a Discord. You know, we're kind of opening that up to certain select beta partners. So if that's interesting to people, please let us know. Yeah. We were talking about other container composition techniques and how you can have a more optimized starting point. So just because you start with, say, distroless doesn't mean it can't be optimized, right? You don't have to stop there. You can, you know, you can turn this all the way up to 11. So if we take our uh, distroless version of this app, which is already 27 megabytes. So I suppose the other thing to highlight is when we minified uh, this container, we got this container down to 25 megabytes. So, you know, without any effort, we were able to meet the sort of the size that, in fact, this is, compressed so this is going to be more like 50 megabytes mm, when we right. actually get into it so we're already beneath the distroless size here but let's just take a look if we take this not a, distroless not a big container, fan by the way of distroless <laughs> i talked about it this year in my DockerCon talk it's got yeah distroless is not the end it's like alpine it's not the end all be all it's not the panacea it's it doesn't have shells but it actually has higher vulnerability count in my testing than exactly. ubuntu did yeah mm. Yeah. And that's exactly what I'm demonstrating here. So here's distroless. You would say that, you know, an image that is smaller with fewer packages inside, it should have a better security profile. Yet compared to that Ubuntu image, it has considerably more. It has 31. So 31 compared to 11, I think it was something of that nature. And the reason for that is, again, I used our tools to dig into this. I looked at the distroless base image because I was like, well, what actually is it? And for the version that I'm using, which is Python, for Python, it's actually using Debian 11. And of course, the difference here is, is that when you look at the distros that are commercially backed, such as Ubuntu from Canonical or something from Red Hat or its camp or SUSE, those commercial vendors all have SLAs for their security, particularly the high and critical vulnerabilities. They sort yeah. of have guarantees around fixing those vulnerabilities that are high and critical over the lifetime of the, the supported lifetime of those distributions. Something like Debian, which is a community project, simply can't have the same commitment to security as something with dedicated security teams. And while Debian developers, including myself, do contribute security fixes to Debian, you know, we are not 
a full-time security team that's spread across right. the world that's responding to these things within 24 hours. So that's why DistroList may well be small, but it doesn't have the same security posture as, say, something built with Ubuntu or RHEL or SUSE. Yeah, but we a, can also a, whack the optimize button. <laughs> and that, that knowledge, you, you just dispensed the knowledge, by the way, that's, that usually, for someone who's new to this stuff and maybe not a, an old hat Linux person, that that takes years to not know like that you know that's there's a subtle complexity and experience that you have there that not everyone is going to have especially in their first year of containers i i actually mm. see a lot of people that they're actually you know there's a lot of windows people that are moving from windows development well specifically for dot exe binary development mm. for a windows server architecture that are moving you know to net core now or moving to just moving off of framework completely to other languages maybe because those it's easier to find developers for those languages and they don't have this kind of information because they just simply don't have the decades of Linux understanding to even understand the nuances of distributions and how they're different, you know, mm -hmm. and the subtleties of, oh, a community-based distribution versus an enterprise-backed, you know, distribution and stuff like that. So I think that's what's great. I'm and actually, honestly, I'm kind of looking forward to all of the requests you're probably getting for all the things that people should, you know, that want into this tool. Like, I mean, one idea off the top of my head is showing a different distribution actually in the background to compare saying, hey, look, you're using the default if you were to maybe consider this other distribution. I don't even know mm -hmm. if that's possible, but <laughs> yeah, yeah it it's is. one of those things where enough analysis in this, enough intelligence, and you could sort of just, you could really solve a lot of problems for a lot of people. So Com coming soon, TM. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's on the soon list. As people on my channel yeah. know, I always say coming soon, or I will release that soon. And soon is a <laughs> soon means between now and infinity. So, um, well, so soon around here does mean soon. Like the a lot of the stuff, particularly around the vulnerability scanning, it was only like four or five weeks ago I was doing my five best security practices for containers, and I was talking about using Docker Scan and Docker S Bomb. And I don't have to do that now because this tooling exists in our, in our platform and, you know, mm. it's going to continue to evolve and develop. And I suppose the other thing to just quickly explain is we minified an Ubuntu container earlier and there was a particular vulnerability in there regarding PCRE. And that, that module is now entirely absent from the minimized container. Mm. So we say here that container size is not a vanity metric. It's an indicator of container quality. And, and it is, it's a key indicator of container quality, I think, because small containers tend to be thoughtfully curated and put together. But if you are a good developer, therefore a lazy developer, you don't have to necessarily put those weeks of effort into learning how to sort of create artisanal containers. You can take something that's a big fat mess and you can turn it into something production ready with yeah. relative ease. Yeah. I have a common pattern I see with clients that I bring on that, that you know, they're dockerizing like over the last, let's say four or five years, they're dockerizing their monolith or sort of their traditional app that they're migrating into containers. And usually by the end of the process, they hate the way their apps construct build is constructed. Like they, hate, they, it's almost like an argument for at least breaking up the monolith because they realize mm -hmm. they have a ton of dependencies. They have OS level dependencies and then app level dependencies. And then mm -hmm. if they're a front end app, they might have multiple front end package managers yeah. all in the way. And they just realize this thing is really hard because those of us that have been on that sysadmin or the ops side of DevOps for all these years, mm -hmm. we were the ones they were throwing, hey, 
hey, we need these things on the <laughs> server before we run, right? We need you to put all these things on yeah. the server. And so we were the ones always trying to figure it out. And we were suffering all the pain of the build engineering nightmare that is making the app run on a server. And now I, and then Docker has really been sort of almost like my revenge to developers to say, oh, no, 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 this is, this is on you. You need to put it in a Docker file because <laughs> yep. you're the one that controls your dependencies. You need to do it. And then we realized, yeah. oh, actually, so many developers don't know their own dependency tree. They don't understand yeah, yeah. all the nuances. And so we need more tooling like this to be able to explain to people, hey, this is actually how your app is working. Oh, and by the way, you don't actually need all that stuff that you thought you did. Yeah. Sometimes people have dependencies they don't even know. They don't even know why those yes, exist, right? right? I mean, it's so. I was going to say also, you'll find people up. doing, you know, whack a mole in their container construction, add dependencies until it works. And at some point, it, it starts working, but you're really not sure what you actually added. So you have this sort of, you know, this thing. <laughs> and then it gets lost in the annals of time why all of these dependencies are inside this container. Right. And we did work with, and this wasn't like a poor container by any stretch, but we worked with a data scientist on a, on an R container that was weighing in at about three gigabytes. And with little to no effort, we got that down to 125 megabytes, which is still a fairly hefty wow. container. But yeah. when you're talking about reductions like that, you're not just talking about making it smaller, but in some cases it's whether it's deployable or not you know when right. things get up that to that side you know a network timeout or anything like and also the cost of transit you know if you're doing multi-cloud and all the rest of it you can bring your you know operational costs down as well by just dealing in smaller containers so there's some upside yeah. apart from you know security yeah yeah i think yeah w one of the things that <clears throat> became clear to us as we were at kubecon you know we we're talking about this to a lot of different people a lot of different developers and this security story really started taking off right everybody cares about their software supply chain security these days and the number of dependencies that you have just creates an exponential lift in complexity of your security profile but the other thing to remember is that it's constantly changing beneath you as well, right? We were talking to a potential customer of ours and they were telling us that they had moved their entire stack, their entire monolith over to Lambdas, right? Containerized Lambdas, right? And they're super proud, like, like massive effort. They're like the new hot cloud native stuff, you know, they're super psyched about this. And then the base image that they were using, the AWS, you know, container base image changed and and it broke everything that they had, you know? And so then it was like this <laughs> massive fix and rework cycle. And it wasn't anything bad. I'm sure the AWS container was, you know, getting security patches, getting updates to libraries, all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, something we've been talking about a lot, and I'm hoping that is going to come in the second half for us is sort of like being able to watch and notify as containers change. Whenever you have containers with us, we're actually like running analysis all the time on the base image or the container that you run and making that available to developers to understand, okay, here's the diff of like what just changed in your image because hopefully you're pinning your dependencies and you're pinning your versions and stuff like that. And then people aren't running, you know, latest in production or whatever. Right. But when you do have an update, even if it's a minor version update, you know, knowing what changed underneath the hood on that, mm -hmm. especially with containers, very, very difficult problem, especially when something breaks. So, yeah, we don't, we haven't really, I'm just thinking about like the history of artifact storage, artifact, mm -hmm. I don't know, analysis. We haven't really had a good way. I mean, we all know the pull request process and we all have a hard time probably imagining now the idea of implementing a pull request process in a team, but not being able to mm -hmm. see the diff. And that's essentially mm -hmm. what we have today. And most of these, you know, without Slim AI, we end up with yep. 
a world where we're shipping the code and we understand the code differences, but we don't understand the dependency differences or even yeah. how that code affects the dependencies in mm -hmm. just the file changes on the artifacts we're shipping to the servers. I think most teams I work with, you know, they're, they think of artifacts in a more dependency nature where like I have this Ruby dependency in our artifact store. Mm -hmm. It hasn't changed and I trust mm -hmm. it and I know I've tested it, but they don't realize how the subtleties of their image, especially like you're talking about, if you don't pin everything, including your apt and yum dependencies, mm -hmm. Even you know those things can change pretty, in, in a pretty bad way. I've actually seen database mm -hmm. drivers change a point release mm -hmm. that completely yep. killed the connection to the database on a new deployment. But there was no code changes, and mm -hmm. it was and they only pinned the major minor versions of their app dependencies. They didn't pin everything, and then yeah. So I've just I've seen it all, and I know that. It, more enlightenment or awareness of these differences in the artifacts we're all shipping to production is mm -hmm. necessary. Certainly, at least in third-party tools, I mean, we haven't even gotten into how, you know, how do you plug in the CI processes? That's actually the yeah. question. Is it possible to incorporate this tool into a CI CD chain to check for code yeah. smells before pushing into prod? I don't know if you wanted to expand on that or explain that. Sure. Yeah. So it's primarily something we're doing with the design partners that I mentioned. So uh, teams and companies. So we have a number of people who are running in CICD. We do have connectors to all the major kind of CICD platforms. We have some examples of GitHub actions that you can use. We've built an agent that can sit in Jenkins and run. And what it's doing is like when you get the code pushed, then it sends information up to the slim cloud. We can either run the optimization or run the suite of analysis tools that we have and then push those artifacts back. You mentioned the sort of PR for container changes. And we actually have a, a case study of a company that's working with us to do just that. So what they do is they run in Jenkins when a new container hits their, starts moving through their CI CD, it gets built in their Jenkins. They send that information to Slim. We send back to them basically a Docker compose file that's a record of that build of all of the containers that were part of that that pod and then they actually push that into their source code repo and then they have a a pr there so we do integrate with ci cd we're building more ci integrations every day and if people are interested you can reach out to me and find me on discord or on twitter or at uh, peter.vn yeah reach so out reach out to me on on Twitter, and I'd be be happy to talk to people more about it if, if you want to kind of do a test integration and see what that looks like. So. Yeah, yeah. So, and to help facilitate that, we're working on a slim CLI. So, a this is the agent mm -hmm. that Pete was referring to that you can embed into your CIC pipelines that talks to you know the APIs behind the slim SaaS platform in order to unlock all of that capability. And if you, you know, are an individual developer and you're learning this stuff and you want to access this, then you can integrate Docker Slim into your CI CD pipelines and you can get a slightly more verbose and a bit more expert level tool, but you can achieve some, if not most of these outcomes using that integrated into your tooling. Yeah, and we do have a couple of blog posts on the slim.ai site. If you go to slim.ai slash blog, there's a few. There's an example with GitHub Actions. There's an example with GitLab. I think we have one coming out with Jenkins soon. I don't yeah. know how people feel about Jenkins, but <laughs> it's, if I had it's one cool. feature request, it would be I would love to see in my GitHub PRs or anyone I'm working with on their GitHub PRs the the CVE scan difference between the main branch and what their PR mm. is about to change. Because yeah. I yeah. think for developers, like uh, CVE scanning is now easier than ever. I feel like we've got so many mm. ways to do it at so many different levels. And now we can finally with Docker scan, you know, because of Docker, we can now scan 
the dependencies that are on the server that are usually something that if you think back 10 years, we had to wait until the server was built. And then someone in the security team or the uh, the Mm -hmm. DevOps team would scan the server, you know, the sysadmin would scan the server for CVO. And those would almost be treated separately than your app dependencies inside your you know your app dependency manager whatever pip or npm mm-hmm. or whatever but now we get to do all that in one place and mm-hmm. it's never i think we're like so close to that you sort of i see the diff of the code you're showing how i can see the diff in the artifact itself but also in the lighting developers saying hey since the main released there's actually been new vulnerabilities because this is one of the problems mm-hmm. i always end up having with teams is the cve scans as much as we want to make them as shift left they end up always happening after things are getting ready, you know, the PR has been approved. It's being scanned by the production image registry or some tool on the eventual way to a server. And then everyone has to stop and eventually PRs get made to fix mm-hmm. new CVEs that we didn't know about, you know, three days ago or whatever. And I'd love to get that part of the process back yep. into the PR so that the PRs for the app code could also fix the vulnerabilities that they're technically introducing because either they added a new dependency or dependency is now out of date. I mean, these are the things I see every day. And so I don't know if you do that yet, but that's my vote if I can. So we're working with an organization that is facing specifically the problem you've just outlined. They are trying to catch up on crushing as many vulnerabilities in their containers as possible. And as quickly as they're doing that, new vulnerabilities are being introduced through, you know, just the new vulnerabilities being discovered in, you know, the platform that they're using or, adding new dependencies that introduce new vulnerabilities on that side-by-side report you know here's one revision of the container here's the Mm -hmm. other revision of the container what was the difference in the vulnerability outcome between those two revisions so that capability exists it's just a matter of time coming soon tm before you know that kind of report can be an artifact you know that sits alongside your container image so you can track over time hopefully you know green going up and to the right and red you know trailing off you know that's what you want to be able to see but we're actively working on building out quite a sophisticated reporting capability around vulnerabilities because we have an organization we're working in who really, 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 really want that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Changing behavior. That's what a lot of this is, I think, about it. Right. Making us aware of things that are already happening that we didn't know about and changing our behavior is what I'm always trying to drive towards. So, well, mm-hmm. okay, so how do people get started? Let's Do we clear that up for them? Let's make sure they know how to do that. Yeah, I can do that one. So if you want to just play around with the open source, just go to github.com slash docker hyphen slim. Get started. You can download the CLI tool there and you go use it. You want to use the Slim SaaS, just go to slim.ai, click the get started button, and you can just log in with your GitHub account and off you go. And if you're interested in seeing some of the more advanced capabilities and potentially working with us as one of our beta users or design partners, then you can reach out to Martin or myself. You can drop into the Slim AI Discord and chat with us there. And you know that can help you get started. We also have a form on this page on slim.ai that you can fill out, but that's a little formal. So, but those are the main things. And oh, and then if you have Docker Desktop, which I'm sure 100% of your audience does, Brett, then you can just go to the extensions marketplace, find the slim.ai extension and get started there, dive right in. 
all these options. Well, thank you both for being here. This is a very important topic to me. We've been planning this show for months. I'm glad we had it. We finally got all this stuff out there and congrats to the Slim team on all this great stuff you're doing. So you can get them on their Twitter handles as well. We talked about all the other things. And of course, we will probably have Slim back when they have some major new stuff. We're going to we're going to bring these companies back so that we can see how this stuff is progressing. And I think that this is the kind of tool that every workflow needs as something to solve these kind of problems. So check out Slim AI. All right, everyone. Have a good one. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>